Hello everyone and welcome back to Young Professionals Guide where we inform you about different careers and industries to help you build your own future. In the last episode, Anna-Marie, Eric and I were talking about what is a good resume and how to start one from scratch. But what is a good resume without the right pitch? Which is going to be today's topic we'll be discussing with Mark. Oh, hi Mark. Hi, thanks for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself a bit to the audience, tell us about who you are as a person, what you do and uh, what your hobbies are. My hobbies? Well, uh, I'm Mark, Mark Schneider. I'm uh, 37 years old. I work as a partner at Perspectivity, which is uh, a collective of 12 professionals now, and we all work on complexity and on uh, complex social matters. And I mainly work as a, um, uh, as a consultant as, and an editor in the field of youth. And I've been doing this in this youth field for about 13 years now. Um, so I'm working as a, as a freelancer in this collective and talking about hobbies. That's a good one. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, um, well, at, at the moment, I'm, one of my hobbies, I guess, and it's a bit like a hobby and it's a bit work-related, is uh, learning Arabic. Uh, I just, um, I had a, a break for about six months and I just started back again learning Arabic yesterday evening, actually. So I'm... Is it for your preparation for today? Where are you going yes, to have, a, gonna have a discussion in Arabic? Uh, uh, that's what, what was my idea, but yeah. Alrighty, and I know you speak seven languages. Is Arabic one of them? Almost, that's five. And uh, no, Arabic was... Uh, I actually studied Arabic for like two and a half years uh, back in Israel. That was uh, mandatory. But for now, I'm only left with, uh, well, mainly some curses, but I can read a bit and understand a tiny bit. Um, so yeah, so like Arabic is, is a bit of a hobby, uh, hobby as well. Um, and besides that, I love doing sports, watching sports on television. What kind of sports? Well, I used to do uh, judo for a long oh. time. Um, since I was like a little kid, um, but I stopped doing this, I don't know, a couple of years ago, maybe six years ago. So now it's a bit like uh, going on the bicycle, mountain biking, uh, running, these kind of things. So you can basically kick ass in Arabic. Uh, I can try, at least, yeah. <laughs> All we're asking for. <laughs> sure. Uh, but hey, interesting fact, uh, you said that you're working with youth. Um, yeah. Is this your specialty? What's your experience with it? Yeah, I started working back in 2008 when I uh, finished, um, when I graduated from university. After a few years, I started working in the field of youth, um, which was a bit coincidental, actually, because I was, um, I wanted to work in an international environment. Um, and I started working for this international youth program, which was a European youth program, uh, a grants program funding youth projects like, uh, like the Erasmus uh, program. But I was working for the program, which is not for education, but for non-formal education, as it is called. Um, so I, I got into this field of youth um, and it really struck me, actually. So I just kept in this field because I think it's very, very, very interesting to work with young people. And I'm not directly working with young people myself, but I'm working with youth work, youth care, youth policy. All these, well, this big environment, how to enable young people to grow up in a very nice way. Um, and I'm doing this in the Netherlands, but I'm also focusing on youth policy and young people in the Middle East. And what motivates you exactly? About youth or about Middle East? Uh, both, actually. Both. Wow, that's interesting. Um, well, the Middle East is something I'm interested in for a long, long time. Um, and I think I'm interested in Middle East because of the complexity. And there again is the complexity. I love, in general, I love complexity. When things become complex, it's becoming interesting, I guess. And I think the Middle East is very complex. I think we can all agree on this. Um, As someone who comes from the Middle East, 
Definitely. Yes. Okay. That's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, historically, religiously, culturally, politically, economically, culturally, I think linguistically, everything is quite complex in this region, which is um, which makes it interesting. Um, that's why I started to learn Arabic like 12 years ago. Uh, so I thought I should at least learn the language. But of course, there are many languages. Arabic is like many languages. So I'm very much interested in how this region evolves. And I'm very much interested in, in the young people in the Middle East because there is this big, what they call youth bulge in the Middle East. If you look at the demographics in the Middle East and North Africa, it's totally different from the demographics in Europe. I think about 60% of the, um, of the Arabs or the populations in the Middle East are under the age of 30. So it's a huge potential, I would say. Um, but it's not being used at, 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 in a good way. So I think it's a region which has a lot of potential, but there's a lot of, well, misery, of course, we know this. Um, and this is something I think is very interesting. So if we focus on young people, if, if we do it very well, this region could be fantastic in like 20 years. This is something I really wish I can discuss with you in a later episode. But back to the introduction. I looked on your profile, obviously, and you are also a writer. Can you enlighten us about what you do, what you write about? Yes, I, I work as a writer, that's true. And I, when I started working as a freelancer about six, seven years ago, um, that was my main focus, writing. Uh, and what I mainly did was writing blogs, writing best practices from the field of youth, interviewing people and writing their stories. So it's a bit like ghostwriting. Um, and for me, writing is, is just a means to deliver information. And uh, that's for me, that's the best way to do it because I love writing and I can do this. And then later on, it changed a little bit. I'm still writing a lot of stuff, um, but the part before has become more important for me. So it's the collecting of information, analyzing the information and the good practices from the field of youth. And then I'm writing it down. Um, but still, I'm, I, I love the process of writing. Um, I love also the process of the, create, the creativity creating something which is text in my in my work and I love stories in general um, so it's also about storytelling by means of writing what can you tell us about your experience with perspectivity what is perspectivity and what is your role within it um, perspectivity is um, as we call it is a collective um, in Dutch it's I think it's called a maatschap um, but we call it a collective uh, we are now with 12 people and um, we all work on complexity. And we think um, this is something we should not ignore, uh, but we should embrace it in a way, uh, because complexity offers a lot of potential, but it depends on how you deal with it. That's what we think. So what we do, all 12 of us, is we support organizations, um, governments as well, professionals in the most general way, in navigating this complexity. How do you deal with complex matters? Because we think that the traditional ways of, for example, project management, they don't fit that well in complex issues. Because for complexity, it's really hard to say, if you do A, then B will happen. You don't know. There's no causal linearity between A and B. It might happen. If you do A, it might be result in B, but in C or in D, we don't know. And maybe today it will result in B and then tomorrow we will do the same thing and it will result in C because the context has changed. Because we think that complexity is, is dealing with lots of actors and lots of factors um, dealing with each other, influencing each other. 
So we are supporting organizations how to navigate complexity, how to deal with the uncertainty, which is inherent to complexity. Um, but still, you can do a lot of things. It's not that you don't know what to do. I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of things to do, but you have to be adaptive. Uh, you have to, that's what we think. It doesn't really make sense to make longer term plans like for five years, but you have to like have a, an iterative process of doing something, then testing, evaluating. So we're supporting organizations how to deal with this. And for me, it's mainly in the field of youth, but I have some colleagues who are working in the field of the energy transition, for example, which is highly complex. And you're all specialized in a certain area then? Yeah, what, some yes, some yes, sort. somehow, yeah. But, but it's, for most of us, it's more about the process, facilitating the process and how to deal with complexity. And then it doesn't really matter that much whether it's about youth, energy transition or international development cooperation. Uh, but, but we all have our expertise, of course. And what is your long-term goal for uh, Perspectivity? Wow, that's a good question. Because I just joined Perspectivity this year. So well, that's good. Fresh eyes. That's good. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that's, I do agree with this. I think the, the, the structure we have, I like it very much. So we have we're independent professionals, freelancers working together. So this, I think, should stay. But what we're working on is to have a community around us. So we have this core of ourselves but we are working a lot with people in different organizations in different fields of work and we'd like to spread the word a bit about how, how you navigate complexity so I would say in like a couple of years this community is very much bigger um, and that we are involved in many organizations in many fields of work nationally and internationally from this small core but with lots of people because I mean just with 12 people you can't do that much we all need all these people in the organizations working in this field so that's my idea but this is my first thought about this how did you get involved with them then because you only started this year uh, did you know them before or and how did you pitch yourself that way because that's the topic in the yeah yeah that's interesting because yeah i knew perspectivity before i think like two years ago i got to know them i was in um in a meeting or kind of a seminar and i came across one of the perspectivity people so i had a chat with her during the, uh, I don't know, during a coffee break or whatever. And she told me about perspectivity. I didn't know perspectivity at all. Never heard of it. So that sounded interesting. And I had a look at the website. Um, and then I saw perspectivity for the love of complexity. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I like this. I like these people. Yeah. And then I just um, had, a, had a meeting with her. I just, we had a coffee, like, I don't know, maybe three weeks later. So she introduced me to Perspectivity. She asked me what I was doing and there was kind of a click. It, it was okay. And then we just agreed that maybe like two months later or three months later, we'd have lunch or, or another coffee just to update each other about what we're doing. For me, it was interesting, but I was just doing my own job. I was working as a freelancer that went quite well. It was okay for me. And then out of a sudden, she asked me in this like a second or a third meeting, or she sent me an email afterwards actually, like, well, there was a good chat maybe you can join Perspectivity. And I was quite surprised. I thought, okay, um, yeah, why? I don't know. But it wasn't the right moment for me. But we just kept in touch, actually. And that's, uh, th that's interesting that you mentioned. Can you, in short, explain from your perspective, why would a person like to join Perspectivity? What would be the motive? I think one of the main reasons for people to, to join Perspectivity, and what was also a reason for me, is to work together with kind of like-minded people with lots of experience. So you can still 
do your work as a freelancer, but you can you can can work together with colleagues. You have the opportunity to learn from them, um, to learn from their network. Uh, so it's for me, it's the it's the ideal situation of in between. Like still, I'm still working as a freelancer, doing my own work, doing my own assignments, my own projects. I have my own network. Plus, I'm working with colleagues and I'm using their network and um, I can learn from them and they can learn from me. So that was for me was, I think, the most attractive feature of Perspectivity why I thought, yeah, maybe I should join them. And the interesting thing maybe is that I didn't do a pitch for them. They just, I just had a, a couple of coffees and a lunch with one of them and they were interested and they just asked me if I wanted to join them. And I, I was thinking about this and about the pitches, about the topic of today for the last few days. And I, I hardly do any pitches in a way, in, in the sense that I really have to give a presentation like three minutes, please tell about yourself. But it's, but I think I do a lot of pitches like informally, like in between pitches when I'm just talking to people. I was just thinking, you said I didn't pitch myself, but in the end you did pitch yourself because there is a connection from their side that are interesting in having you into the uh, community and, and the complexity of perspectivity. Do you have a pitch for yourself which is like coming out of yourself naturally? Because this naturally, I think that's for me, that's the most important thing. When I started working as a, as a freelancer, I really had the idea that I had to have a pitch, like an elevator pitch. And I tried and I practiced But that's really hard. Uh, and then after some time, I thought, okay, it should be natural. Um, and for me, it's not really natural to have a pitch like in two sentences, this is who I am and this is what I do. Also because in my work, it's a bit more complicated, not because it's difficult, but it's a bit more complicated to explain like in one and a half sentence what I'm doing. So I thought, okay, maybe I don't have like a pitch like this, but I can tell what I'm doing. But it depends on the person who I'm talking with. And for me, that's, I think, the most important lesson which I've learned about pitching is that it depends on the person you're talking with. So I try to figure out when I'm talking to someone, what does he or she want to know? What's his or her field of field of work, field of experience? And how can I connect with this with my, so to say, pitch? Um, and for some people, it's very interesting to hear that I'm working in the field of youth. So then I focus on this. But then for some other people, I figure out that it might be interested for them to know that I've been that I have some experience in the Middle East and I speak Arabic, for example, or the writing part. So I have like different parts in my job and I try to figure out what, what works best for this person. And how are you trying to figure that out? Do you have um, any strategy that you follow or is it because it comes naturally at some point? Yeah. How do you develop that? I always Google people beforehand, for example. I mean, it's, it's quite easy, of course, but if... It doesn't matter with whom I'm, I have an appointment. Also, I'm doing a lot of interviews, for example, like interviewing people to collect their information. Um, I always Google them before just to know what kind of person is it. Also, is it is it like an old person or a young person? What kind of experience does he or she have? Just for me to know. Maybe I won't use it, but that helps, of course. That helps a lot. Um, and just trying to see what in what kind of field of work is he is he working. Um, and to see where it connects, basically. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were overselling yourself? Probably not, but it, I think it, it also depends on the kind of character you have, character you are, like 
I'm a bit more a, an introvert, modest person. So for me, it's quite difficult to to really um, say this is who I am and I'm really the best person for this job. But of course, if you are doing a pitch, you have to sell yourself a little bit. Um, but for me to oversell myself, I think I'm really far from this. Well, I remember that one time when you said, oh, skiing, how hard can it be? And I remember you ended up looking towards the mountain yeah in a v spread definitely in the wrong direction and yeah asked how do i get down yeah that's <laughs> totally true yeah yeah that's why maybe that's the one moment i was overselling or maybe overestimating myself like how hard can it be i can do the skiing in the end i came down it went in the end it worked out well um oh definitely so, day two and three were way better yeah yeah that's that's why yeah 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 so um I'm not sure. O overselling myself. I'm, for example, when you're presenting yourself or you're you're pitching yourself. My main, the main thing I keep in mind is, and actually it's a writing technique. Show, don't tell. So, if you want to sell yourself in a way, I don't think it's the best strategy is to uh, to tell the other person that you're the best man for the job, because the other person, the person you're having an interview or a conversation with, he or she can think to himself. And they'll know themselves but you can just show them show your experience or maybe you can show your references you have and then if you have the if you share the good information so the experience you have and the references and and your education and everything probably his or her conclusion will be that you're the best person for the job but but don't tell them because they will they want to figure out themselves so if you just show it and 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 really with factual information like i have i don't know 15 years of work experience in this field of work and i have three very good references it's this and this and this i, I don't think there's a point of overselling i mean that's just the information you have which is true and just show it uh, and then the other person will will think okay that's that's perfect yeah. in that case let's uh, counter this question with the complete opposite have you ever undersold yourself yeah probably i've done that but i don't know of course how would you look at underselling how would you try to avoid it every every time you see it i think then th it's the main it's the same strategy again just by providing factual information so if you have 15 years of work experience just show that you have 15 years of work experience so you don't oversell but you're not underselling as well and it's a thin line, of course, between being self-confident or maybe arrogant or underselling. But just stick to the facts. Maybe that's it. Interesting. You mentioned those uh, those characteristics of being self-confident and uh, arrogant. Yeah. Do you think those characteristics can somehow help you with the pitch if you have them as a person or maybe even ruin your pitch? Yeah, I think so. I think we all know people who are very self-confident and very convincing in their in their way of speaking, in their attitude, in their way of being. That might help, of course. When I'm speaking to someone who is quite confident and um, quite convincing in his or her point of view, it helps. But then again, I think it's a thin line because still, if you're really convinced of yourself, still you have to figure out if your idea or your pitch, if it lands on the other side of the table. Um, you, you can have a pitch and you can be very convinced of your pitch. But if it doesn't fit with the needs or the wishes of the people who are who you're talking with, I'm, there's no way of uh, 
having a successful pitch, I would say. So that's for me very, a very important aspect also about the pitch, that it has to connect with the people you're talking to. So also about preparation. Yes, definitely. Yes. I think, I, I think that's the main, that's the, that's the key element, actually. Of course, it, it's, it's really handy if you have like a, a, a base pitch, like a one, maybe just a few sentences which you can use as a base. But I don't think there's any situation in which you will use exactly this base pitch. You always have to adapt it, I guess. If you're, if you're having a pitch, a fantastic pitch, but the other person doesn't believe that you with your pitch will help him or her or solving the problems they are facing, why should they work with you? So you should know, I think, beforehand, what's the problem? What's, what's their need? And how can you help them solve this? Thank you very much for your opinion. Let's dive into something that uh, can relate to modern times. Pitching yourself remotely is different than uh, in real life. I just actually, I just, I had a kind of a pitch. I did a pitch yesterday, remotely. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's um, we're actually right now we're in the middle of a tender procedure for uh, for a, quite a big assignment for a ministry, uh, which is lots of work, large work, lots of money. It's it's a quite interesting job. Um, so we had to to make an offer, to to have a proposal to send it in. So we did. And we were invited for an interview, which was yesterday morning, actually. And we had to present ourselves and our proposal. And then we just had a conversation with the other people. And it was via one of those online tools. Um, and it worked quite okay. But it's a bit difficult also for me because I'm, I'm really trying to connect to the other people. Just on, on content level, but also more like on a... How do you say like a, an, an energy level just checking out how are the other people are they okay are they here are they focused or maybe they're just with their head uh, i don't know somewhere else and if you're having a meeting just physically then you can you can see the other people you can see their nonverbal language of course and that's quite difficult if you're just doing it via a screen so it's 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 different um but we have to do it of course um and one lesson I learned yesterday, actually, is that you have to be prepared. Of course, you have to be prepared quite well, but also for the for the technicalities, because I had to share my screen. It's just a detail, but it was uh, it was an important lesson for me to learn. I had to share my screen because we prepared a, a, a small PowerPoint presentation, which I prepared. So I had to share my screen uh, so everyone could have a look. But then I wasn't able to share my screen because I had to adjust some settings in my laptop to be able to share my screen with this particular online tool we were using. I didn't do that beforehand. So I wanted to share my screen. I wasn't able to. And that was a bit awkward, of course, because we have to present this with lots of people in the, well, in the virtual room. Fortunately, one of my colleagues, because I was with two colleagues, she already prepared. She knew this beforehand. Like it might be that we have to, that I have to adjust some settings. So I'll just check 15 minutes before the meeting. I just check in my laptop if all the settings are correct. So I'll be able to share my screen. And I don't know, but maybe she even thought, maybe Mark is not thinking about this. So I'll do it for him, which is very nice and sweet. So I was like stumbling with sharing my screen. And then fortunately she said, okay, I can do it for you. That was perfect, but it was an important lesson for me. Like, okay, of course you have to be prepared quite very, very well, but when you're doing a, a, like a pitch or a presentation remotely, just check if technically everything is working as it should. 
Well, thanks for emphasizing the importance of preparation. <laughs> yes. We were discussing that in previous episodes with relation to every single topic that we're talking about, that preparation is important, uh, check it beforehand and so on. And now that you mentioned the, the fact that, okay, rem even remotely, when you have a meeting remotely, just make sure to, you know, do the clicks and uh, try yeah. to do, well, the presentation in your case and for someone, well, maybe sharing something else. Or for us, it was also a recording. The first uh, recording, it was a bit difficult that we didn't expect that it would take that long for <laughs> preparing for the episode. So we're just uh, sitting here. Well, not really awkwardly. We still could talk. But we're sitting here for like 10, 15 minutes trying to figure out why it doesn't work. So, uh, yes, good, uh, good emphasis. A question that we got from uh, one of our listeners was regarding body language within pitches. Since we were talking about remote and in-person, can you start with explaining a bit about the general importance of body language within pitching and then the difference between using body language remotely and in real life? Yeah. Yeah, there is a difference, I think. And in general, I would say body language is, of course, very important. Also because I think when you're doing a pitch or, or you're presenting yourself or, or, I don't know, the project you're working on, people are, in general, I think they're, they're interested in, in, in the human being. Uh, of course, they're also very much interested in, in the kind of work you will do for them. But they, they are looking for a human being, so they also as we all are, I think, human beings, we're really focused on how is this other person? And I mean, we all know that when you enter a room, there's this first impression you have. And I think it's also for pitches. So, so it's really important to have this open body language. And I think with a bit of energy, make sure that the other people will see and will notice that you're having fun in a way with it. When I started working a couple of years ago, I really had this feeling that if you want to be professional, you have to, you can't, you can't have fun. You should be, I don't know, you should be um, a professional, so... Yeah, those who co don't combine, you're right. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, of course it can be fun, and it should be fun, because we're all working, it's a lot, of, a lot of work we're doing, and we have to work until we're, I don't know, 67 or maybe 70, so there should be fun in it as well, and especially when you're starting on a new project, or you're pitching something you really believe in, please show it, that, you're really, that you really believe in yourself, or in something you are, I don't know, you're selling, with lots of energy and and of course don't overdo it don't be a clown or something and be try to just keep it close to yourself be authentic in a way that's of course very important but an open body language with like twinkling eyes it, i mean that might be difficult to to force I, I want to have twinkling eyes but i think that's really important yeah well that shows if you're having fun and you're believing what you're saying as well and then you get those twinkling eyes probably yeah yeah and then you don't have to tell them that you're having fun or that you're looking forward to work with them. They'll see it. They'll notice. And that's, of course, different when you're doing it remotely. Yeah. So that's um, because you have this just a small screen. That's it. Uh, but, but still, you can, you can, I think you can work on this. And then it's just the details like how do you, where do you have your laptop? Do you have it like right in front of you or maybe a bit low? Um, which is not maybe the best perspective on your face. <laughs> so just use some books, I don't know. And then I mean, maybe my nose is very interesting. You don't know. You don't know. Well, check it beforehand. I know. When I moved to New Zealand, my grandpa was uh, 95 and he wasn't on the internet. And then he got internet and, and we Skyped. Uh, the only thing I saw from him in those two years were nose holes <laughs> because he didn't know how to look into the camera. Yeah. 
Um, so that's that's good to know, you know. Yeah, and it's authentic in a way. I mean, this is yeah, it was yeah. It was lovely, and uh, when he showed his wife or my grandmother, I didn't see her. I see the picture be above her, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's all good. It, it it was good, and you see the twinkling, and the, well, I didn't see the twinkling, but I heard the twinkling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. When I'm having uh, Skype calls with the grandparents, every time the thing that I usually see is the upper half of the face. Yes. Above the nose, like they can't really position it or pre-position them in the right uh, area where the camera is. So then again, I think it's a matter of preparation. Just just try it out beforehand. Just see uh, what's the best uh, way of putting your laptop uh, at what at what position, how it works best. Yeah. Would you say that there is no real definition of body language uh, in remote calls as of yet, because everyone has to deal with it at at the same time, suddenly, yes. and that everyone is trying to figure out. Uh, do, you, do you see it uh, like that as well? Yeah, I think so. I think we're just learning by doing, yeah. actually. And now, of course, you have all these blogs and all these information on websites saying, like, these are the 10 things you should keep in mind when you're having an online meeting, for example. Um, but we're really learning by doing, yeah. And, and I mean, I see all the different variations in this and people with different backgrounds. Um, Ooh, backgrounds. What can you tell about backgrounds? You probably have experienced quite a few video conferences where yeah. you saw very different backgrounds, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Which are the most memorable for you in a both positive and a negative way? Well, personally, but that's, of course, a personal thing. Personal, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I do like a personal background. So I like to see the room where people are sitting in because I just get a glimpse of their personal life, which I like, but... Well, it has to be decent in a way, the background. And sometimes you see people, they are, I don't know where they are, but it's like a big mess on the background. Well, that's maybe not the best picture you want to provide from yourself. So just have, have a look at your own background just to see what's, what's in my background, actually. And I don't actually, but, but that's personal. I don't like these, uh, these pictures on the backgrounds. In the online tool. Exactly, yeah. Or you have this, uh, you have multiple variations, but... I don't like it that much because then I'm talking, you can see like a talking head in the screen with this weird background. It's, it's so, it's artificial. It's so unnatural. So I like the, um, the, the real background. Yeah. Also because again, you're talking with people. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, the other party or parties would also like to have a bit of a glimpse into, well, who you are as a human. Do you think that uh, this is a good representation of yourself if you can do it in real life? That your background is kind of like an indicator of who you are as a person. For example, uh, if you have a big bookshelf in the background or a big TV with a gaming set, you know? Yeah. Uh, would it be some sort of an indicator for you about the character? Yes. Yeah, I would think so. I think this is, this is how it works. When we, when we have this first impression, when we, when we see someone for the first time remotely, we, we see this person, but at the same time, we immediately see his or her background. And this is, I think, how we are as human beings. We are, we are using these stereotypes. And this is so we have we fill it in. We said, OK, it's a lot of books on the background. This, yeah. is, this is actually what's on my background when I'm having a, a, a video conference. And lots of people, they, they ask me about this. Like, what are all these books on your background? And sometimes I have this feeling that people might think that I do it on purpose that's what people sometimes say, like, wow, that's, that's, you're looking intelligent with all these books on the background. And then I feel a bit awkward, like, oh, God, that, that's not my purpose. I don't feel that I have to show my intelligence in one way. Of course not. But it's just I love books. And there are, indeed, there are lots of books on the background. But it, it works in a way that it intrigues people. 
um, but at the same time, uh, I un- I understood then that people, they just don't see it, but they immediately have an idea from it. So they see the books and then they think, this guy loves reading books. Okay, that's fair. But some people think, oh, this guy wants to look intelligent. And that's not the best for me. So if you're talking about pitching yourself in person, you know, first impression, remotely, background would be the first impression as well? Yeah, I would say so. Just have a, have a look at your own background. If it's, if it's decent, if it's okay, it can be just a, a wide, uh, just a, a wall. Um, but it has to fit also with the, with the image you want to share. So just have a look and just make sure that it's okay. And maybe it, it can be interesting to have like a certain object when you have, when you have a, like a bookshelf in the background, you have a certain object there. Maybe it can be like a conversation starter. Since this podcast, this show is generally targeted at the younger audience, you can't expect younger audience to have a lot of experience. How deep can they go into them as a person? How much personality can they show in this pitching? Or whether they need to show their business side, their professional side? How do you know how to balance it? I think it's, yes, it's about the balance because I think both is very important. Because again, when you, you are you're pitching yourself, the other person is interested in the person you are. And of course, he or she is interested also in the professional experience you might be having, but also in the person you are. So I, I think it's really good to have some personal touch in your pitch. Again, don't overdo it, of course. I mean, you don't tell well, all the details of your family. And to, to make it more concrete, what is the personal information you're always sharing when you pitch yourself? Um, yeah, the Arabic for sure. Um, and especially when it's for, an, uh, for a project or an assignment or a job, whatever for which the Arabic is not immediately relevant, but then still sometimes I mention it just as a personal touch to, to just give them a glimpse of, of the person I am and that I'm doing also other things than the things which are directly relevant for the job. So just mentioning, yeah, I speak Arabic, I love to learn languages and I love to learn Arabic. It can just intrigue people. And I think it's about also about the details because people just... I think they will remember just two or three things from your pitch, to be honest. So you can think of just a few nice details you want the other to remember and then just add them in in the pitch. And I think a personal one is very good. Try to tell a story in it. And and I think it works very well. Stories and, and the personal touch, they work very well together. Because people love stories, of course, and people remember stories. Uh, so you can have like a technical pitch starting with who you are and then saying what, what, what you can offer and then, well, like this, but you can also tell a story with a beginning and an end and a, and a character, which is probably yourself, um, and add some personal information about your life journey, about your, your personal background and how, how your ambitions or your talents came about, I don't know. Um, so a bit of personal information and try to think what are the elements I want the other to remember because People tend to remember just a few things. I'm always, in the last five years, using the, the fact that I lived in New Zealand for two years. And I spin that one depending on the opposite party. You know, whether it's going to be really business-like or uh, the freedom or the, uh, how do you say, the going abroad, uh, the, the experience. Yeah. Uh, but that's the personal touch I'm using. Yeah, but it's interesting. So you have this one personal thing you're always mentioning but you spin it like you say yeah i think that's exactly also what i meant with be adaptive so you have this few elements which you have in your head in your mind and then try to 
adapted to the specific situation you're in. Yeah. Yeah, that, funny that you mentioned it. I noticed for myself in a lot of cases, I usually try to use my, well, the background of where from, how do I speak the languages? Because what you mentioned, people are intrigued to know why all those languages, where it comes from. And then at some point I realized, okay, my story is complicated. How can I explain it in a sentence? And then I started thinking, how can I do that? And at some point I realized, okay, that's probably, there's a story that I, uh, that I noticed that I'm telling everyone. And it kind of became my starter. Uh, or something that I mentioned in a pitch as a story. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. travel and um, world experience and adventure is always good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think in the end, that's what people will remember. Yeah. And the judo. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I should I should have it in the pitch. The need yeah. to know you're a badass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you're sitting right now, obviously, with a notebook. Is this because you're a writer, or is this because you usually use this in your pitches? I think both, Ooh. actually. Yeah, I always have a notebook with me, actually. And I, I remember, I've always done this. I mean, even when I was a, a kid, I wrote down little stories or I just, I, I love to write things down. And for me, it's just writing down my thoughts, actually. And what do you think the other party is usually thinking about you having a notebook? Younger listeners mentioned to me that they might seem too unprepared, too unprofessional, or they're afraid that they might seem a bit too childish. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I wouldn't think that's, no, totally not, no. For me, it's the opposite. Like, okay, you're well prepared. So you've given it a thought beforehand. Um, you've, you've, you've taken the time to write it down. Because for me, and I think for many people, writing it down is also a way of structuring your thoughts. So you have like many ideas in your head and many things you might want to say in a, in a pitch or in an interview. But it's, it's a bit messy in your head. Yeah. So writing it down, and you can do this on a, on a laptop or a tablet as well, of course, it doesn't really matter. But writing it down, will, I think, will help you to structure your ideas and your thoughts and what do you want to say in, in, in a pitch. So I think it's, it's, it's really a way of preparing yourself. And I would, if I'm having a, a conversation with someone or someone is pitching his or her idea to me and there is a small notebook, I can see, wow, he's, he's well prepared, well done. I started using a notebook since, I believe, the last couple of years, more intensively. Before that, I used to write things down on my phone or uh, on the computer as a note. Uh, but I noticed having it on, well, always with me helps with remembering things and uh, structuring them, as you said. Your brain has a certain amount of capacity, especially throughout the day, or the more busy you get, the more, uh, well, the less capacity you actually have. And writing things down definitely helps uh, yeah. offloading it. Yeah. It's a kind of a personal archive as well. Like, I, I, I do it quite often that I just get some old notebooks from a couple of years ago. I did it as a prep, actually, as a preparation for the pitch I had yesterday because I had been working for this organization, for this ministry for a few years already. And I knew that I, in those years, I had written down many ideas or remarks or just things that came up in my mind when, when I was working for them. So I just got my old notebooks and just had a look. What was I thinking two years ago when I was doing this job and how can it help me now to prepare? So I think it's really good. And using the right words then. Probably they have their internal words or naming for things as well. So you're speaking the same language yes. uh, straight away. Yes. Yes, I think that's important as well. That's a good point. But then again, what I try is to keep a balance as well uh, between having using their jargon, their words, 
because then you um, then you show that you connect to them, that you're in the same field, that you understand them. But on the other hand, be authentic. So don't use the words if you're not feeling comfortable with it, or if you and if you don't know what it means. Because this is what happens with jargon that people are saying words, but actually they don't know really what it means. So don't do this. Just just use it when you know what it means for you, at least. Um, but balance a bit. And I think it's a bit unnatural if you're if in every sentence you have these words and this jargon. It's a bit artificial. No, I don't overdo it. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. But that's for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one question left. You love complexity. Yes. But once you're pitching yourself, you need to bring it down to a really simple uh, a simple pitch as well so yes. people understand it and relate to it is there a trick where you can do that easily that's um that's a challenge also for me and um, what i learned is use examples which makes it easy or easier for other people to understand what you're what you're saying people are quite bad listeners i mean we're all biased when we hear a story and we will just remember a few things and we will remember the things that we want to hear and we want to remember you know this there's this kids game um, I think it's called Grapevine, heard it through the grapevine, that one kid is telling a story to another kid by whispering the story in his ear, and then the second kid will do this to the third kid. We used to call it broken phone line. Ah, broken phone line, yes, yes, exactly. I think there are many names for this game. And then in the end, of course, when the, I don't know, the seventh or the eighth or the child number 10 will, will tell the story he or she heard while the other one was whispering in the ear, it's totally different from the from the story at the beginning. Totally. I mean, not not just the details, but people might die who didn't die at the beginning. They might die at the end. I mean, this is this is what happens. So we're quite bad listeners. I think that's well. We have to deal with this. So you have to keep this in mind when telling a story or giving a pitch. Keep it short and simple. Try to make specific give specific examples. Uh, just one fantastic example, which fits with what you want to say with a, a few details uh, not many details because they won't remember just one or two details in a kind of storyline I think that works but that's challenging so again then prepare yourself and check it just ask feedback from from others and do you see practicing your pitch uh, with your close peers as a good training before the actual pitch yes definitely I would do this this is what I do, yeah. And I think it, then you can also differ between different persons. You need that fresh set of eyes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Also for pitches, yeah. What if you're afraid to talk with people? <laughs> or, you don't have people uh, or you don't have people in your circle to ask? Is there any way that you can try and doing it yourself? Maybe even recording and listening to it. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, I think that'll help. Um, you have to have a certain distance from your from your pitch or from your presentation to be able to assess whether it's okay, whether it makes sense. Like sleep over it, but don't really sleep over it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's sleep over it. I think that's the best. If you have the time, just have one good night of sleep and then listen to yourself. I think that's an excellent suggestion. Yeah. We're trying to introduce something new here because we're talking with a lot of guests and everyone goes through a lot of things. And the thing that I would like to know from you would be what is your career experience or career lesson that you would like to pass on? Just one. Just one. Out of the many. I think the main thing I've learned, my main lesson would be dare to ask beforehand, dare to ask questions. Because when I started working, I had this idea, this impression that I... I should know everything so that I'm when I'm being asked like invited for an interview they asking me questions and I should know all the answers 
But now after some years, I discovered that most of the times the people on the other side of the table you're talking to, uh, they don't know everything. And sometimes they ask questions which are quite unclear. Or they ask you to do a pitch, um, but it's not very clear what's the pitch for. Why do they ask me to do a pitch? What do they want to get out of the pitch? Just ask. And, and in the beginning for me, it, I thought it was really silly. It, it makes me look, look stupid when I'm asking questions like, oh, he doesn't know. But then I thought, no, this is for me, it's like a strength. If you, if you dare to ask questions in a good way, in a polite way, just ask. I didn't really understand what you, what you were saying. Can you explain a little bit? Can you clarify? Just asking for clarification. I think it's a sign of professionalism that you really want to understand what the other person is trying to say. So feel comfortable in asking questions and don't think you're being silly. I think you're, you're being very professional, actually. Thank you very much, guys. Um, I think we covered a lot in this episode. So to sum things up, pitching is also about being natural and being real. So it doesn't have to be only preparation or it doesn't have to be a base. Being natural about it and being yourself is very important. Whenever you're pitching yourself for the other party, it is good to know about who you're talking with. That way you can pick a better story to tell because people love stories. If you don't know the person you are going to talk with, Google exists, LinkedIn exists, and excuses don't, so go for it. Overselling yourself can be dependent on the person. Uh, some people tend to oversell themselves, some tend to undersell themselves. Usually the difference is seen more in men and women. Men tend to oversell themselves and women sometimes tend to undersell themselves. Whenever you're not sure whether you're doing this, showing your experience, showing what you've done speaks for you instead. That way you don't really have to do the talking. Just show what you've done, show the action. Whatever you're doing, attitude and preparation are the most important things. Uh, you might be very charismatic, which is good. If you're not, well, the story again can do it for you. And if you want to prepare for your pitch, you obviously have some close connections. Ask people to review it. Ask people to give a feedback and be open-minded towards the results that you can get. If you have no one else, listening to a recording might help you. Distance yourself from what you've currently written and maybe try to change an atmosphere, change location. Uh, maybe you've written down things in notebooks. Try to read it from a tablet. Anything that you do in order to distance yourself from the actual pitch can help you have a clearer view of whether it is appealing or not. Nowadays, we are having a lot of interviews online. You cannot really show who you are as a person or it's very, very difficult. Uh, body language cannot be read properly. You have to adapt yourself. But one thing to remember is, first of all, Everyone is learning. Uh, everyone suddenly has to deal with it at once. So if you're making a mistake, everyone does it. No one will remember it. And another thing actually is that use your background, if you can, as a tool to express who you are as a character, whether it is a bookcase, whether it is uh, audio equipment. A messy background can also say maybe he's a messy person. This is not the impression you want to give, so try not to keep it dirty. Blurring backgrounds or using different views and panoramas doesn't really say anything besides, well, the person is probably trying to hide something. Avoid using it unless you're in a real rush and your background is dirty as hell. Now, when it comes to balancing between personal and business within your pitch, people love stories. So if you're not sure how deep you have to go with your, well, with who you are and uh, opening up, try to find a story which 
everyone usually finds interesting. A uh, personal tip for me would be um, if you have an interesting background, you're coming from a different country, anything that is related to travel, for example, languages, some specific skills, this can be a, this can be a good starter. Besides that, you obviously have to keep in mind that you have to be, well, a tiny bit of business and professional because, well, it's important. That's the whole point of it. And for that, try to use any buzzwords that are used within the industry or maybe within the company or organization you're applying at. In general, keep it short, keep it simple, because people tend to remember only a handful of things, only a handful of facts about you. You might not be a good listener, but you are one of seven billion. So if you are not so good with it, probably the other one is not good with it either. General rule of thumb, people are bad listeners. And most importantly, make sure to pick up an interesting story because this is going to define who you are in this entire first impression. This has been Radian and Eric with our guest Mark. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.